his glory. And uh, in the minutes that we've got tonight, I just want to go back to a couple of verses um, that we read uh, two weeks ago. Genesis 28, 16 to 17. Jacob, um, on a very specific journey, uh, a man that uh, very often did the wrong thing at the wrong time. And yet God uh, was amazingly gracious to him. And here in uh, Genesis 28, there's the story of um, Jacob's dream, vision of a stairway from heaven to earth. And some of you, if you're old enough, can remember that song. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. If it's gone over you, be blessed because you're still enjoying the, the youthful life. But um, verse 16 says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, where Paul writing to the Ephesian church says, consequently, and he's talked of there in the previous verses, there's almost a therefore, he uses consequently, he's talked about there being no divide. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. Consequently, we're no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And uh, we have sought to be prayerful and intentional about our ministry in Arena Mansfield over these opening weeks of this new journey. And uh, we, we've, we're seeking by God's grace to lay some great foundations into our life, friends, that will really help us to build what God wants to build in these days. And God is impassioned about building a house. A house that he inhabits by his spirit. A house that can be the Kevin Bird conference suite, infield mill, on a Sunday night. But he's not defined by this building because we come to it and go from it. And the house is not contained in a literal sense, but it's the community of God's people that gather together in this context as Arena Mansfield that he indwells by his spirit and it becomes an awesome place where God ministers. And so we're, we're doing that. Let me just say that I'm conscious on these first three Sundays that uh, some of you uh, who crisscross in great servanthood the two sites uh, have had to put up with the preacher three times in one day. So it was me, Christian, me. This is the last night it'll happen. So it was just a sort of quirk of arrangements. But I trust that you'll bear with that in terms of ministry. But occupants of the house. And so the first week we laid something of a foundation about the structure of the house. Right, builder, foundations, walls, windows, door and roof. And then we began to go on a journey over the next few weeks of different occupancy of the house that God is building and last week Christian spoke about the occupancy of prayer and uh, he ministered on this place becoming a house of prayer we need to pray on our own but we need to pray together and uh, tonight out of that atmosphere of praise and worship we pray for people because we believe that God answers prayer I said to Christian during the week I think the thing that washed over me as he was ministering last week was simply this that all the great prayer houses around the, around the world, and there are some amazing prayer houses, some are 24-7, 365 days a year, that express church in such an amazing 
depth of prayer that they are continually praying. But of all the great prayer houses around the room, uh, around the world, it all actually started with just some straightforward, basic, simple, foundational teaching on prayer. And as we dug deep on prayer, God's allowed churches to build tall in prayer. And friends, if Arena Mansfield is going to go anywhere in the future, and we really believe it is by God's grace, then it will increasingly become a house of prayer for all nations. The natural breath of this church will be a church that prays, and prays easily, and prays passionately, and prays regularly, and prays unto the Lord for him to do amazing things. Now tonight, I want us just to talk for a few moments, not only about prayer in the house, but also purity in the house. And the subtitle of this message is Dealing with Intruders. And if I can say with all humility tonight, and I really want you to hear me, that there's four things I want to say, and I could spend the next four weeks, one each. And uh, this particular message, which is not always an easy, is not particularly an easy message to minister in some context, does come out of a journey. Because I've been around ministry, friends, for a long time now, and I've realized, if I say this again with absolute humility, God gave me some insights to realize that these things forever seek to cloak themselves in what seems real to actually intrude the church. In the 1980s, Sharon and me were pastoring a church in Oxford, the city of dreaming spires. And you may think it's awfully posh in Oxford, and it actually is in uh, various places. But actually, it's a town and gown city. It's uni and Cowley Car Works. And guess where we lived? Yeah, near the car works. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, we ministered in that church, and uh, at one particular Christmas, Sharon's mum was still alive then, and she lived in Yorkshire. And so, uh, during the Christmas period, we took a few days away. Uh, Miriam was a little baby, or a little girl at that time. She's 28 this year and lives in Australia, as many of you know. Alison was just literally a little baby. And uh, we went up to Sharon's mum's for a few days at Christmas, and took the kids to see Grandma. Uh, the elder of the church ran me just a few days after Christmas. He says, Phil, don't panic. He says, but there's been an intruder in your house. He says, I just popped round to see if everything was okay. And the back door was wide open. I thought, that's a bit funny. And he says, somebody had sort of smashed the glass at the back door, put the hand through and gone in. Now, here's the, here's the good thing about this. The burglar walked in, looked around, thought, well, there's nothing worth pinching here. <laughs> and uh, did we still have a black and white telly at that time? Yeah, you know, but, and walked out again. <laughs> you got to start paying the pastors better, aren't right? you? Yeah. <laughs> but here's the next question. No, it's a serious question. I was then worried out of frustration that I trashed the place, and some of you may have had that experience. But here's the miracle. There wasn't a Christmas card out of place. They'd walked in, had a look round, walked again. The detectives came to see us and said there'd been a spate of burglaries over the estate during the Christmas period. Was anything stolen, Mr. Pine? No, nothing stolen. No, they just came in and looked round and went away again. Nothing stolen. So we were grateful for that. and We gave thanks to God. We drove back down to Oxford after our holiday with Sharon's mum. And I have to say, it was a little bit weird because we realized that somebody had been in our house uninvited. We lived in a, a situation at that time where we worshipped in rented property on a Sunday, so we were very used to people coming to our house. It was almost like a bit of an epicenter for the church. And it's sort of like it was two rooms that broke into, uh, what, uh, 
or, or yeah, two rooms that broke into one if we needed them. We sort of had up to 35 people crammed in there, you know. Uh, but somebody had been in who we'd not invited and, and, uh, and sought to burgle the house. They'd been an intruder. Why am I saying all this? Because I am to believe, friends, that that's exactly what takes place in the church if we're not on our guard. And John 10.10, 10, I like the last bit of John 10.10, 10, but the first bit says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. So what I'm going to speak about tonight is not keeping out what God wants to bring in. Because our hearts are absolutely open to the Lord. It was just tremendous tonight again. Friends, in the sense of the repurpose in this church, it's just an infant church. But the worship and praise was way up there tonight. We hit something in God that was just amazing. Folks worshipping and praising and blessing and dancing in God's presence. Fantastic. We want all that God wants to bring to the house. But we want to be mature enough to realise that in the spirit there will be things that seek to burglars, that seek to intrude, that are not welcome. And frankly, we want to keep them at the door. Now, these things express themselves through the flesh, through the self-life, without being flaky tonight, sometimes, yes, even through the demonic. And they normally express themselves through people, because that's how things operate. And we want, friends, the Spirit of God to continually make this place awesome. So here's the four intruders. And I I know that I'm in danger of maybe sounding a little bit negative, and I worried about this until I realized that these four things continually came against Jesus. They continually sought to steal from the mission and purpose of the Savior. And if it had yielded to any one of them at any time, Arena Church would have been non-existent on this Sunday evening. Number one, friends, religion. And I'm going to give you some passages of scripture, which I don't have time to read tonight. But if you are taking a note or two, or you revisit the, uh, the ministry through the podcast, then you may want just to read these scriptures during the week. And the reference here is Luke chapter 5, verses 27, right through to Luke chapter 6, verse 11. It's a, a fair portion of scripture. But in that particular passage, and this is just one illustration, Jesus is confronted with the religious spirit. Now, as you read the Gospels, Jesus says, I've come to bring the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And the message of the gospel of the kingdom, friends, is not some sort of thing that's going to drop out the sky like a spaceship in the future. That's not the kingdom. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God, friends, is the rule of Jesus. It's a kingdom that's come and is coming. It's a kingdom that expresses itself and will express itself. It's a kingdom that comes in fullness, but not in complete fullness until he comes But he's come to bring the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And here's what happens when people live out the kingdom. And you'll read it in these verses. Christians socialize with sinners. God, grief. Because people say, why is it that Jesus keeps eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And if some of you have got a more modern translation there or the message Bible, the language is even more fruity. Why are you socialising with these people? Now, some of you have been in Pentecost for years. Well, no, years ago we were told not to socialise with anybody because it was worldly. Oh, So we didn't become separatists, we become isolationists. 
We live in our little ghetto worlds that made no contact or relationship to a needy world that needed to hear about Jesus. They thought we were weird because we couldn't make friends with them. And it didn't go anywhere. I know there's a balance. And I'm a big enough boy to realise that sometimes the balance goes too far the other way. But I'd rather live with the tension of seeking to get it right. Jesus socialised with sinners. Jesus did unlawful things on the Sabbath. Better not go there tonight, friends, but I'm not sure that we are. We're determined by a rhythm of life that says we need a day of rest. I'm not so sure there's new covenant Christians we're determined by a Sabbath day. When is it? Is it sunrise on Friday till sunset on, you know? Well, it's not that, obviously. And, you know, we've gone into all sorts of problems over the years saying, well, Sunday's the Sabbath, is it? No, Sunday, friends, is a cultural day in our society that makes it easy for us to gather in worship. And we need times of rest. We need to build rhythms into our lives. But actually, our great Sabbath is Jesus, and we continually rest in him. Read Hebrews 4, because he's the fulfillment of all of that. And then Jesus healed people on the wrong day, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. They said, they said the but Jesus knew the day what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everybody. So he got up and stood there. And they were, I'll come to their reaction in a moment, but I want you to be reminded tonight that religion is a system of faith. And it's a system that seeks to attain by works. So when people say to you at work, oh yeah, you're religious, aren't you? You can't actually rebuff them and say, no, 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 I'm not religious. Because I'm not seeking to attain to something by a system of works. We really are as Christians, not in religion, but in a relationship. God has come to us by his grace, offered of his love, his free gift of eternal life. We didn't deserve it, we didn't merit it, we could never earn it, but he's given to us anyway. And tonight, if you have never received the free gift of Jesus, it's yours for the taking. And the only time that religion is mentioned positively in the New Testament is in James chapter 1 verse 27 where it says that we ought to express that through giving to the orphans and the widows. And religion, the religious spirit continually confronted Jesus. I want to say friends, it will seek to steal from the house. It will seek to intrude. It seems correct at times. It masquerades as being spiritual unorthodox but actually religion complains religion compares religion gets angry religion's destructive somebody says religion is always seeking to pounce and it is in matthew 23 and i'm just going to list these jesus confronts the religious spirit again he is searing in his attack upon the religious people there read it And here's some of the expressions as you work through Matthew 23 of what religion does. Religion is burdensome. Religion is proud. Religion is taken up with externals. Religion is the protector of the status quo. We've always done it this way, so we're always going to do it that way. Religion is powerless, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Religion is critical. Religion is joyless. Religion is stubborn. Friends, I want to say tonight with some care that as a Christian leader, on more than one occasion, I've been on the ends of the spirit of religion. 
And very often, the weapon that the religious spirit uses to attack the church and seek to burgle it is words. Words that initially seem so correct, but actually are incredibly impactful. Forgive the language tonight, friends, but I can only describe that on many occasions, when the religious spirit has confronted me, it's been like having the face slashed with a Stanley knife. That's the impact of it. And there are very few things that keep me awake at night. I sleep like a baby, but the religious spirits kept me awake at night. Not only words to me, but words to Sharon. And perhaps more inexcusably, words to my kids. Seemingly correct words. But somehow the impact upon them was from a source that was an intruder and wasn't pure. And brothers and sisters, as we've grown as a family, as for me and my ass, we're going to serve the Lord. We've learned to keep it at the door. And as a leader of a church and a spoke with Christian, we've learned increasingly that religion is going to play no part in the life of Arena Church. You see, friends, we are passionate in Arena Mansfield about God, passionate about Jesus, passionate about people becoming Christians, passionate about prodigals getting restored, passionate about people being healed. But if you ask me, is this a religious church? The answer is an unequivocal no. And every time that flipping squirrel walks through the door, it will test every religious spirit in this place. Never mind about getting the kids out, that's why we do it. Now you know. Number two, still with me, rejection. The second, the second intruder is rejection. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 30. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He set me... He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It says in verses 22 and verse 28 that when the people heard this, they were furious. Furious. When they heard Jesus claim to be the Messiah. See, these people knew the Torah. They knew that he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. They knew the implication of his confession. And they utterly rejected the Lord. Matthew 8.34 says that they pleaded with him, Jesus, to leave the town. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected of men. 1 Peter 2 verse 4, Jesus was rejected of men. Friends, if you have ever felt rejection, the Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, that Jesus, the high priest, sympathizes with us because he knows exactly what rejection is about. And I want to tell you that rejection is an intruder. And we're going to keep it at the door. Here's how rejection works. It, reject, it works through broken relationships. It works through a failed job interview. It works through mispromotion. It works through redundancy. It works through a failed business deal. It works on you being the last pick in the football team. You know, everybody else goes... Oh, come on then, be on my team. It works through a preacher who won't make an appeal in case nobody responds. I've had people literally confess that. Because they feel rejection. It reflects itself in all sorts of things. Friends, family can be a source, and I'll come back to family a little later that spills out into church to be a place of the family. I've had people say, well, you see, the thing is, I feel rejected because I'm the oldest in our family. I'm the oldest of the kids. Then somebody else comes and says, I feel rejected because I'm the youngest. And then somebody else says, you know, the problem with me is, I feel rejected because I'm the middle one. You know, 
I'm a second notice to seven. I don't know where it leaves me, but, 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 you see, these things, what about, what about parents saying to the child, you know, you were a mistake? Or what about, I wish you'd never been born? That's the spirit of rejection, friends. And I want to say that if you have brought that sort of spirit into the church because they're some of the things that you have had to navigate in your life, you've come to a good place. Because we are not going to speak that language over you. Because this is not a place of rejection. This is a place of acceptance. This is a place where your wounds can be healed. This is a place where you can rise to your destiny in God. This is a place that no matter what mistakes men may feel they have said, the sovereignty of God is that you are not a mistake and that you are on planet Earth for this time to serve the purposes of God. That's the awesome house that God is building in these days. We sometimes feel rejection through friends and our fantastic young people that have supported this journey in Mansfield amazingly so far and we're so proud of them pitching up here every Sunday night and giving of their best they like to hang around in groups very often why? because they don't want to feel rejected and there's an understandability in all of that and then what about our foes when we've reached out to people genuinely to seek to reconcile with them and it's been pushed back anyway we can feel rejection verbally you're thick, you're a plodder you'll never amount to anything We can feel rejection emotionally, distant and disconnected. We can feel rejection intentionally where people deliberately put down. And here's the results of it. It builds resentment, it builds bitterness, it builds rage in some people. It builds anger and aggression. Because they want to get back at those that have put them down. And brothers and sisters, we're going to keep this at the door. And we're going to keep it at the door by accepting the truth. And the truth is that you're a son and daughter of God. We're going to keep it at the door because Psalm 139 says that you, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, were in the mind of God. We're going to keep it at the door because God says that you are precious to him in Psalm 27. Even if your mother and father forsake you, he'll never forsake you. We're going to keep rejection at the door by releasing forgiveness. I was just talking to somebody this week that's got a relational challenge in his life. And I said to him, you need to realize that forgiveness is not condoning what's been happening in the past. That's why lots of folks won't forgive, because they feel it's condoning the wrong. But forgiveness releases you, and it potentially releases the perpetrator of the wrong as well, if they'll receive it. And we need to be released, friends, from forgiveness. We hang on to it at times because we believe that we deserve to hang on to it. It makes us feel good to be unforgiving. People don't deserve forgiveness. You bet they don't. But neither did we in the eyes of Jesus. And if he's forgiven us, then we ought to forgive us freely. If you see, freely give. We're going to keep rejection at the door by fulfilling our destiny. And Psalm 138 and verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. That's one of my life verses. And I confess it over my life regularly, friends. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me and he'll fulfill his purpose for you. God is often portrayed as a rejectionist. He is the very opposite. He's the father that's looking over the brow of the hill for those people that are lost, ready to return to him. He sees the silhouette in the distance. He gets the robe and the shoes and the, and the fatted calf ready and says, I'm willing to receive you back to myself. 
we're going to keep rejection at the door. Number three, control. Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11 speaks of the temptation of the enemy against Jesus in the wilderness. And it was all about who was in control. Here's a definition of control. An unnatural domination or expectation over your life. And that is what Satan sought to bring to Jesus three times. He came to him three times. Jesus rebuffed him with the word because he refused to submit to the control of the enemy. He knew at that very pivotal moment that the whole plan of rescuing people from their wrong was, was in jeopardy if he, if, he, if he gave into it. And he refused to yield. You know, there are people, friends, that have exercised control nationally over the years. Hitler, Germany, Stalin, Russia, Ceausescu, Romania, Saddam Hussein, Iraq. Amazing the impact these men, wicked men, had on their nation. People following them like sheep. People have sought to control domestically at times. And it's interesting, friends, that in the Gospels, Jesus has a lot to say about families and uh, our attitude to our families. And he's never, he's never once said that we shouldn't love our families, but he has said that we ought to love him above all things. And sadly, at times, the family has become fertile soil for, 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 for control. And uh, it, it's, it's a horrible thing. We minister out on occasions to a women's refuge where sad, terrible women have been controlled physically, emotionally, psychologically by people that have literally sought to take over their lives. It's horrible to see. There's been control ecclesiastically, friends, over the years. What about the abuse even recently through the Roman Catholic Church in America and Ireland? Years ago, Jim Jones in Guyana, over 20 years ago, took a thousand people to commit mass suicide with him. David Koresh in Waco, Texas, some years ago. And uh, just terrible things happening. Religious cults, let me say about religious cults, they are always controlling. Always. It's a characteristic of a false religious cult. And how do people control? Well, they control by menace. In Acts chapter 4, verses 17, the authorities said to the disciples, you better stop spreading this message or else. Or else. And they said, we cannot stop. We cannot stop. I've had people, friends, that far away from me, menacing. You better stop doing that or else. No, I can't stop. And that's when it comes in that we obey God rather than men. That's not a proof verse to uh, be unsubmissive to civic authorities. But when somebody asks us to do something that's not in alignment with God's will, then our first response is to obey God. Control, friends, comes by manipulation. And the domestic scene can be one that works this out and it seeps itself in to impact that house that God is building. Relationships. Yeah, well, she's not good enough for my son. Oh, oh no. And you're forever in the way. Forever. What about Christmas? Yeah, but we've had these Christmas arrangements for the last three million years. But next year you're doing something different. And all hell breaks loose. It's control. What about the future? What about the call of God on your kids, friends? 
And I'm going to be very serious for a moment because if you have committed your kids to God, here's the challenge. You've not committed them to God so that you know that they're never going to do anything that will take you out of your comfort zone. In other words, you've not committed them to God because they're always going to live around the corner from you. You've committed them to God because they might go and be missionaries. They might go to the ends of the earth. They might live 12,000 miles away in Melbourne to follow their heart. You see, they may go anywhere. And you've got to give all of that to God. Because I've seen some Christian parents determining what the will of God is for their kids. And the kids are three, four, and five. It's all settled. Never mind about the call of God. Never mind about a missionary zeal. Never mind about giving up a career to go to Bible school and train for ministry. This is what you're doing. And friends, we've got to give it all to Jesus. Because I tell you, if he's building an awesome house in Mansfield and he is, guess what's going to happen? He's going to call young people to ministry. He's going to release people into mission. He's going to set people free to touch the nation and the nations of the earth. And this church gathers around these people as an amazing family, gathers around the releasing parents as they face that challenge and say, we are with you. Controlled by money. That's the third thing. You know, it's as, it's as, it's as, the, the, the old tactic is as old as it's been long. And that is, if I don't get my way, I'm not tithing. Friends, if you think you're not tithing to this church, means you're going to get your own way. It ain't going to happen. In fact, it makes me even more determined not to kowtow to that sort of attitude. I've had people blanking me down for years that wouldn't put anything in the bag. And I would get thousands of them if I did it their way tomorrow. I'm not going to do it their way. Because we're not going to be controlled by people. We're going to be given over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his ruling reign over this church. Friends, control needs to be kept at the door. I want to tell you that the leadership of this church detest control. We are not going to be a controlling leadership We're not going to crowbar people into doing things. We're not going to intimidate people. We're going to lead the flock of God. We're going to do that unashamedly and unapologetically. But we're going to lead the flock of God. And we're going to call for a heartfelt response from people, willingly, voluntarily, and and submissively, out of what God is doing amongst us. Number four, as I close, is offense. Offense. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 to 23 that when Jesus was reviled, spoken against, he didn't respond in 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 an inappropriate way. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Offense, friends, is normally over triviality out of immaturity. It's seen in non-commitment, dislocated relationships, accusation, umbrage. Offence means that we're all walking around like this. On eggshells in case we upset you. Because you've not come to maturity in faith. And we might just say the wrong thing. Which means you're never going to come to that church anymore. Can't run a church like that. Can't run a church like that. I've seen pastors literally run to the door on a Sunday night because they're so frightened that if they don't say bye to everybody, somebody's not going to come anymore because they take offence. Now, I'm a doorman. I always have been. Just a natural place for me to sort of go near the door. Great to see you. Great to see you. Great to see you. Have a great... You know, 
But if I don't happen to say goodnight to you one week, friends, don't think it's the end of the world that somehow I've deliberately blanked you and didn't talk to you and there must be something wrong with me. It's just that you went past while I was talking to somebody. It's nothing more than that. Offended people are always having their, have their ego shroud. And, some, and the Bible says, friends, in Proverbs 19 and verse 18, that an offended brother or sister is more unyielding than a fortified city. I don't know if you've ever tried to minister to some people that have jumped into a fence. They're impossible. I'm so, no, I'm all right. There's no problem. And they're bringing all that into the house. Bringing that spirit. To, and friends, we've allowed it to happen for years. We oh, don't talk to Auntie so-and-so. Oh. Her reputation's gone before her. Say the wrong thing, the balloon's going to go up. Is that an awesome place? Don't think so. The purity of the house. Dealing with intruders. Our little intrusion all those years ago, we got over pretty quickly. We thank God for safety and security. We had a bit of a laugh about it like we did tonight. But the reality is, friends, that if somebody came gate crashing into my house tonight... And brought threat to my wife and my kids. I wouldn't be passive in my response. I'd do something about it. I don't know what that would be. It wouldn't be Tony Martin, you know. But, um, but, But there'd be some response. And I want to say, friends, that we love this church. We love what God's doing here. We love what God wants to do in this town, along with other churches. We understand that. But we're committed to this, to what God's doing here. God is building something awesome. Christians seeing things over this place, friends, that will just blow your mind in terms of the passion to see God do all that he wants to do. And all I'm saying tonight is that the second occupancy of the house is not only prayer, but it will be a place of purity, a place where we keep at the door the things that aren't of God, religion, rejection, offense. And we keep them there and control. And we keep them there, friends, because they're not of the spirit. My experience, my observation over the years is so often we've been far too passive in our spirit in allowing these things to take root and then wondering why building the house becomes a bit of a battle. If I've touched on some things tonight with you, and I've had a little bit of a fun also, but I want to say tonight that if for whatever reason you're living in rejection, God loves you. He loves you amazingly. If you felt that the way to God tonight is through religion, it's not, it's through relationship. If you've been a person that tends to want to control things, how about freshly saying, Jesus, the most freeing place I can be in my life is when you control Everything. If you're a person sometimes that in your insecurity feels that everybody's against you and you jump quickly into offense, realize tonight that the spirit and atmosphere acceptance, if only you'll open your eyes and see what God wants to do. Brothers and sisters, let's keep the intruders at the door. Let's fulfill our God-given mandate. Let's allow him to build a house that's pure and clean. Let's allow him to do something that truly will be awesome.